Hello and welcome to Women's Wellness with Loose Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Lucy Catino. Ladies, this is your safe space where we discuss everything women's wellness. Let's dive deep and start to peel back the layers. Today's guest is Lindsay Joseph, a professional coach who is passionate about seeing the success of her fellow professional women come to life despite the unique challenges they may be faced with. She is the founder of Greater Now, a career and business and leadership coaching firm for professional and entrepreneurial women looking to advance in their career or business while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Lindsay is here to talk to us about the importance of harmonizing our careers and our family life. Welcome, Lindsay. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being on and sharing um, your expertise on how to help women of color maintain their work-to-life balance. So I'm just going to dive into my first question for you. Okay. In your work, um, what seems to be the major roadblock for women in finding their balance with family and career? So women have two primary roadblocks when it comes to work and work-life balance. The first is themselves. So anyone who's taken a Psych 101 class knows that psychologically, men and women are different. So one of the things about male and women psychology or gender psychology is the fact that men tend to value autonomy and independence and their individualism, whereas women Mm -hmm. tend to value relationships and having other people around them. So how that appears in the workplace is that men will typically take credit for their own successes, whereas women won't. We'll usually credit our own success to other people, even if it is us. And so it's this lack of confidence in our ability to show up at work mm-hmm. and show up because we did something that we can credit to ourselves. Um, so that being said, it also shows up in other ways too. this lack of confidence, because you also have to remember that women have only really been in the workplace for a few decades. Whereas, you know, men have been in the workplace much longer, at least the modern workplace anyhow. And mm-hmm. even typically when you look at, you know, more ancient societies, you have men and women having very different roles in society as it relates to work. But when we talk about the modern United States workplace, you know, women have only really been in the workplace like the last few generations. And so for many of us, our grandmothers never even really touched a workplace. So that being said, there are things that, you know, when it comes to um, male dominance and leadership and power and, you know, different issues that affect women differently at work, one of them being, you know, the wage gap. We talk about the wage gap. We know that it exists. We know that it's a problem. And one of the problems Mm -hmm. in fixing it is, You know, even just the fact that women typically compared to men do not ask for higher salaries coming straight out of college or even further along in their career. We're less likely to negotiate a pay raise and that pay raise, regardless of where it happens in our career, can actually predict our future earnings as well, too. And so those are some of the roadblocks where it's more internal, which is, you know, just a, tr- a, a lack of confidence and just the yeah. way that we more so attribute our success to the other people who have helped us, as opposed to seeing, you know, oh, we're capable of doing this and taking, you know, control of our own um, efficacy, if you would say. So efficacy yeah. being our domain specific confidence 
when it comes to certain things in the workplace. So how do we build that confidence? I think it's really about being aware and self-reflective, honestly. We really Mm -hmm. need to look back and dissect our achievements in our career and be able to understand how they took place and how we can apply certain things that we've already learned from what we've already done to Mm -hmm. other things that we're currently trying to work on. And I teach that just across the board with any goal that you're trying to achieve, but especially with building that efficacy because the difference between confidence and efficacy is confidence is just something that you show up with in the room and it's just something that you have with you regardless of a situation or circumstance efficacy is more like domain related confidence where it's not necessarily transferable like for instance I do recruiting now and I'm a great recruiter but before I was in recruiting I was a hairdresser and I was not a good hairdresser and so that is efficacy, whereas mm-hmm. I'm confident that when I get on an interview to speak on my experience, I'm confident in just generally my experience and the wealth of knowledge that I have to share, regardless of, you know, whether it relates to me being a hairdresser or me being a recruiter or me being a coach or me being a PhD student or whatever the case is. So those mm-hmm. are the, that's the difference between confidence and efficacy. And so I really urge people to really take an inventory of everything that's taken place in their career, where their successes are, where their strengths are, where their failures may be, where their areas of improvement are, and understand how that relates to what you've already done, where you are right now, and what you need to do in the future. And when you do that to build efficacy, doing it in where are my strengths and where are my successes, and what are the resources that poured into me for me to be able to do those things. Sometimes it may be other people, but you also have to you know, take credit for where it's due. And sometimes that credit is due to yourself and you're you're just not willing to give it to yourself. (laughs) Right. So, and it's okay to say, you know, I've worked for this. I've trained in this. I've put in, was it 5,000 hours or how many hours it takes for you to become an expert in something. But that is a really great point, right? It's just really giving ourselves credit and being okay with that. Do you think that there's like some sort of guilt and shame that comes with us owning our greatness? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, we have to traditionally look at women's roles in society Mm. and then how that translates to work. We've always been told to be more submissive. We've always been told we have to do things in service to our husbands or our partners or children. And so with work and the beautiful thing about studying and working with women in the workplace is work is something where it is a detachment from the other aspects of our lives. So as far as, you know, maybe two or three generations ago, we were somebody's wife, we were somebody's mom. Work is something where we can use our own unique talent, skills, and abilities and transfer that into a way for us to sustain a living. Mm -hmm. So it's not even necessarily like take the, the pay out of it altogether. But when you look at work, it's really your own expertise and your own talents and your own capacities to continue to learn and putting those together to be a productive member of society in an economic sense. Yeah, 
Exactly. So I yeah. actually posted something on Instagram mm-hmm. today that, you know, your career is creation, not just your job. And that's really what that post was about is that, you know, when you look at the length of your career, that's something that you're creating. That's something that you're building. That's something that you're establishing and you're doing it using what you have, what you know, and what you're good at and what you like to do for the most part. Well, well, yeah, what you love. And that's really important too. Now you said there's another roadblock that women often face. What is that? Yes. So that is society in general. Society, like we've kind of already discussed to some degree, traditionally women have a place in the household. We have to be great cooks. We have to clean up after everyone. We have to be caretakers, whether it's for children or elderly parents or spouses or our partners, kind of like the backbone of everything. And so economically today, most households do require two incomes, especially if you're living in a more expensive part of the country, such as you're aware you've lived in Massachusetts, you've lived in DC, you live in California. Those are all very expensive parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Right. I now live in Georgia and I've been in North Carolina as well too. And so, you know, obviously the cost of living is a lot different down here, but Mm -hmm. especially I'm in Atlanta. And when I was in North Carolina, I was in kind of like the country where it's like, I think I was staying in a town of like 7,000 people, like, people could probably live off of one income and have a a wife that stays at home or whatever. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. For the most part, people who are living in an urban setting or suburban setting to a major metropolitan city, which is, you know, most of the population, I believe, honestly, or Mm -hmm. a, a huge chunk of the population, two incomes is required. Now, women have been earning men in degree attainment for like the last like four decades since the 70s. And we have been more consistently in the workplace. We actually make up about 50% of the United States population and we make up about 50% of the workforce, but we're on track to make up about 60% of the workforce. So in upcoming years, we're actually going to participate in the workforce more than men are in the United States. And there was a study done in 2013 where it was about breadwinning moms. So women who have children... 10 out of every four of them are either primary breadwinner or the sole breadwinner for their household. So either they earn their partner or spouse or whoever it is, is in the household with them raising children, or they are the single income for that household. And so women obviously are not going to be leaving the workforce anytime soon. It's actually more of an economic necessity that women do continue to work. And so we are constantly doing a tug of war between what we're supposed to do in the traditional sense, because these are still the things that, you know, we take pride in. We take pride in them because they're the expectations of everyone in our family. Society still stereotypes like that well, it's Mom, a woman's job. And, yeah. Exactly. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so that's something that we internalize in ourselves because it's our family's expectations. It's society's expectations. So it becomes our expectations and something that we take pride in, our ability to keep a home and keep a household together. And um, still work. And still do the shop, grocery shopping and still do the cooking and still planning parties and being entertaining and things like that. And be able to carry on a career where we want to be able to close that wage gap so we want to be able to get treated fairly at work so we have to sometimes outperform men in order to get the same type of recognition Mm -hmm. just as we talk about being with being minorities is that we have to do double the work just to be average women do also face that as well too yeah those are really great points that you just 
brought up um, and something that we really need to consider. Now, how do you feel this all affects a women's wellness, particularly women of color? Because I know that we have this pressure to be strong and to have it all kept together, right? So how do you think that's affecting us? I mean, people are stressed out and burned out at work. So in the United States, about 5 to 8% of all healthcare spending is related to work-related stress. So whether it is insomnia or, you know, heart issues or, Mm. you know, anxiety and mental health issues that are related to what's going on at work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's actually killing people. So there's about 125,000 people who die to causes related to work-related stress every single year in this country. And so obviously it has a negative effect. How that really breaks down for women specifically, I don't know. But there was a quote that I had saw circulating around social media not too long ago where it says, we expect women to work like they don't have a family and we expect them to be there for their family like they don't work. Yeah. And with all that's being said, it's just like women are just taking on probably the majority of that overwhelm because Mm -hmm. that's just like a general statistic. We obviously have men stepping up to do more with children and being more active in their children's lives now because Mm -hmm. you do live in a society where two incomes is the norm. You live in a society where, you know, those responsibilities typically do have to be shared for a healthy marriage or relationship to even work out. I mean, I don't see how you know, somebody could really be content living with somebody who wants to adhere to traditional norms in a new society. But when it comes down to it, women are still over, you know, taking on the majority of that burden. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to women's wellness, it'll be very interesting because the baby boomers most of them probably weren't in the workforce as far as the women go. So mm-hmm. it'll actually be very interesting in the next few generations to see how that generation of moms that were at work or women who were at work and competing and hyper competing with men at work and to also take care of these household responsibilities. It's going to be interesting to see what their overall health outcomes are going to be and what that actually does for women's wellness. Because I think that that's going to be the telltale sign, Um, hopefully before that comes, because that's probably still a few generations and probably a few decades down the road, we'll probably hopefully have some resolve to some of these issues. I know a lot of corporations, they really do try to create benefits around health and wellness because they do know that, you know, obesity is an epidemic in this country. They do know that employees are stressed out and they're dropping dead from, you know, their job. They do know you have to be competitive because this is more of a candidate driven market now too, Yeah, where companies really need to offer the best benefits and perks to get an employee to come and then stay in their organization. And so they do offer things like, you know, reimbursements for gym memberships, or they might have like a, you know, yoga class. Some of them do have onsite gyms. Some of them, you know, do offer extended maternity leave. So you're seeing that corporate America is starting to kind of address some of these things. So I don't know how that's going to end up mediating exactly how stressed out women are at work, because these are programs that are typically generally for everyone. And so there still probably is going to be, you know, some health, worse health outcomes for women as opposed to men. So it'll be definitely very interesting to see in the future, but also hopefully in the future, it'll be more interesting to see some of the ways that corporate America itself is going to try to help women at work in terms of addressing their 
individual needs for being able to maintain their wellness. Exactly. Now, what are some of the tools that you offer women um, through your organization? Right. So I do coachings and coaching is one of those things that has a very broad definition online. And part of it is because people don't necessarily understand what it is, but also sometimes coaches don't understand what it is. When you're talking about becoming a dentist or a psychiatrist or a therapist or, you know, even a hairdresser, you know, you have to get a certain education. You typically have to get a certain amount of hours like of actual practice in a clinical or practitioner setting. And then you have to go for a licensure examination. And Mm -hmm. with coaching, you don't have that. I mean, you could, um, you know, say, oh, I have a podcast now. So you can go tomorrow and print out cards that say that you are a podcast coach and you teach women how to create a podcast. So there is no barrier to entry for calling yourself a coach, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, so my definition of coaching and how I've been trained through an ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation program that is accredited by them, is that coaching is really more of a self-development and cognitive development process where a coach is there to facilitate a conversation with the client to be able to help them solve their own problem and then kind of come to their own resolve about the problem and then to set their own goals around the problem. And the coach is there to guide them through that process and then also to help them stay accountable to the process that they set up for themselves. And so that is a service that I offer women. And offering that service for women, one of the things I do specifically is helping them understand their work-life balance and their life around, you know, their goals. Because as women, like I said, there is a need for us to be competitive with men. There is a need for us to want to achieve certain things. And so in doing that, it's imperative that we also do make sure that we're doing it in our own timeline for what works for us, what's not going to make us unhealthy or burn out. Even though career and business coaching and leadership coaching as well, those are the things that I primarily focus on. We typically do talk about their life and how that blends in with their life or what are their other obligations with life that are also a priority. That way, as I get to know my client, I can help them be realistic about the goals that they're setting for their career or their business and mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, okay, so you want to schedule a time to, you know, work on this goal on Tuesdays at 7 p.m., but you said that your daughter has a dance class every single night at, you know, 8 p.m. So just being able to even give them those reminders sometimes and how they can figure things out. And then also being kind to yourself. So I'm a big believer in setting a contingency plan on top of the plan that you set already. Because what happens if you can't get to that goal at that particular time? I'm a mom. And I know that when you plan stuff with kids, it's probably not going to go the way that you exactly planned. You are going to have to be kind to yourself and gracious and patient because either you're probably not going to get to it at the time that you expect to, or -hmm. you're going to have interruptions in trying to get it done. And so always creating that wiggle room, that way you don't feel bad about not accomplishing something, but also creating an additional time or scheduling additional time somewhere else in your week if you're not able to get to it because of that reason or because of a particular reason. Yeah, um, and it, know, it, it's okay. You don't have to feel guilt around it or feel the pressure um, because I think a lot of that comes from, you know, just pressuring ourselves and feeling like we have to 
really do everything, do it all, you know? Exactly. Especially with kids too. It can be stressful when you're uh-huh. trying to do things for yourself or trying to do things for your career and kids are wonderful at interrupting um, yeah. everything that you do. So yeah. just being gracious and understanding with yourself and teaching women that as a tool. And that's why I specifically do choose to work with women because I know that those are issues that are more so primarily women's issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. Well, this has been a wealth of information. I can really sit here and go on with you um, about this. And we would love to have you back too and to continue this conversation because there's so, so many layers to it, right? So thank you for all of that information, Lindsay. I really appreciate it. Um, now tell us, where can our listeners find you and learn more about your mission and stay connected. So as far as following me, you can follow me on my website is the best way to get in touch with me. It's migratornow.com. In addition to that, I have a membership community too, and you can join that at migratornow.com slash community. That community includes a members only podcast in addition to my interview style podcast, which is also on the website along with my blog and all my services. Mm -hmm. Um, But it includes a private Facebook group. It includes, you know, special person offer. So check that out. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Greater Now LLC. And then on Twitter at Lindsay Marie Joe. So that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. M-A-R-I-E-J-O. And so, yeah, that's where you can find me online and definitely reach out if you need to contact me directly. The best way to get in touch is email. That's Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at migratornow.com. Nice. Thank you. Definitely check her out on those platforms. She has great content, great information. So before I let you go, I'd like to dive deeper with three last questions, okay? So first question for you, if you were to write yourself, Lindsay, a love letter, how would you begin your first line? My first, my love letter to myself. Um, that's a really good question. I've never even thought of anything like that because I'm not a big journaler. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, dear Lindsay, before I even get started, I just want to let you know that you are amazing, you are wonderful, and you are a child of God, I guess. I don't know. Um, That's good. One of the things I do every single day is, you know, remind myself that I am a child of God. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me or what else might be going on in my life, because at the end of the day, I matter to him if I matter to absolutely nobody else. Absolutely. Good. I love that. Second, what is your personal why? That one thing that gets you up in the morning and and you're like, this is why I'm doing this. My children, I have an eight-year-old and a two-month-old, excuse me, two-year-old. The time just flies. Um, I always think of him as a baby, but he's like a toddler. He's about to be three. And so my children definitely get me up. I actually am child-free for the summer. And I've actually even noticed that I'm a lot lazier than I typically am just because they're not here to keep me up. So they are literally my literal reason for getting up because I definitely get up a lot later now than when they were here. So nice. Beautiful. And lastly, what would you like to leave behind after this journey is over? It does not have to be anything tangible. It could be anything that you would like to leave us all with to remember you by. To remember me by that, you know, I am a woman who has, you know, definitely endured some things and I've been able to be successful 
regardless and so anyone should to be able to be successful despite what they go through and that's really what I focus on with my podcast is talking to women who are successful in their career or business even though they've gone through some things whether it's gastric bypass surgery whether it's molestation whether it's dealing with grief and pain whether it's dealing with bullying whether it's dealing with you know whatever the case may be you know you can still come out of that and be successful I have and one of the things I talk about all the time is being a survivor of domestic violence and so if I can get through that and you know work on the different things that I'm doing like maintaining a career like becoming a PhD candidate, like starting my business and having my own media platform as well. If I can do those things coming from where I came from, anyone can do whatever it is that they want to do coming from where they come from as well. That's right. I, I agree with that. And that's, that's really powerful message. Thank you. And thank you for being on again, your time. Uh, really appreciate it. So thank you. Hopefully we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. Take care. Take care.